This week on the Flyover Country podcast, inflation is out of control and it's tanking Joe Biden's presidency. Will Senators Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, and others go for even more spending? We'll talk about the political environment. Also, Virginia, New Jersey, and other elections last week. Huge news for the Republicans. They're back in the suburbs, baby. We'll kick that around. And also, we're going to talk about this podcast. We are launched officially with great guests and a great panel. Thanks for being with us. Let's get going on this week's Flyover Country. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. All right, thanks for being with us on this week's Flyover Country podcast. I'm Scott Jennings. With me, as always, well, not as always, this is our first big panel, and I'm glad that you all are here. We've had a huge week. We have launched this podcast. You all will always be with me. Some of you will be. Uh, think of this as more of an audition. Think of, think, think of this as more of an audition. Uh, what I've done is I have I have thrown one broom handle in here and broken it in half for the three of you to decide who's going to survive. Which one will not be here all the time? <laughs> right. I don't know but with yet. me this week on the panel, Kaylee Price, Kevin Hello. Grout, and my old friend, broadcaster extraordinaire, Joe Arnold. His, my name escaped him for a moment. <laughs> well, very well, close you're, friends. Well, you're dressed. I don't normally see you in a in your uh, your racist uniform, the fleece vest. I, I, don't, I have on. That's <laughs> a Brooks Brothers. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like Boy. it's two strikes. Don't, against don't tell me. Joe Biden. He'll he'll be uh, he'll That's be right. all over you. All right. So um, I thought we would just start this week and uh, kick around the podcast a little bit. We got launched. And we really had some great guests. Jake Tapper from CNN was a terrific guest. And also Josh Crowshire from the National Journal. Uh, Josh and I spoke uh, right after the Virginia election. And by the way, Josh is terrific. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he writes against the grain. He did a great job on the podcast. Um, and uh, his reflections, I thought, were interesting. And maybe the most eye-opening thing he said was not about Virginia, but was about 2024 when he yeah. boldly predicted that Joe Biden would not be the nominee for president uh, next time around. I, I think he's spot on. I don't think there's anybody out there looking at Joe Biden right now that says, "Yeah, this guy's got it." I mean, well, Joe Biden what, might. What be. was the poll you saw the <laughs> other day, USA Today, that the most common response of what Joe Biden should focus on right now is retire, retire resign, resign, quit. Yeah, it was That's like an open-ended question. That's the most common response that people want. It I mean, was the it was an open-ended great great point. It was an open-ended question, and it and the question was, what should Joe Biden? focus on right now. And 20% of respondents were retire, resign, or quit. And nothing else was even close. Well, bear in mind that Joe Biden already succeeded in what the goal of his presidency was. And that was for Donald Trump not to be president. With that, basically on day one, when he raised his right hand, everything else is, 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 uh, you know, is gravy. So, uh, so I would say he needs to, going to the future. Day two, he turned into a lame duck or did that take a little bit longer? Yes. He but, did, but, but there but is some, but there is some buyer's remorse because in that same survey, uh, a fairly high percentage of people said he was worse than they expected. So there mm-hmm. were some expectations of him beyond simply replacing Donald Trump, and he's obviously failed. I mean, independence was the worst. It was like a seven to one margin. I think everyone uh, everyone made up their own, everyone made up their own expectations in, in you know separately. But again, the only singular focus of that campaign was that he was not Donald Trump. And he's even tried to use that a few times since then, saying, I'm not like the other guy. I mean, he said it in certain ways in different news conferences, uh, whether it be at, in, at the in Glasgow, at the climate talks, or, um, you know, other Blaming situations. Trump for Afghanistan? Right, exactly. You know, so he's like, you know, I'm not the other guy. 
So well, the, you can only go so far with but, that. But, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that they keep going back to this because it's not working. In the USA Today right. survey, right. they had a head-to-head with Trump and Biden, and Trump was winning. It was like 44 to 40. Now, huge majorities of Americans don't want either person, Biden or Trump, right. to run again. But it is conceivable that they might run against each other. It's also conceivable Biden won't and Trump will, and there's lots of configurations but if you're right, and all they ever wanted was for Biden to replace Trump, then he really has no chance in 2024. Right. I mean, is that really all they ever wanted, though? Think about the people in charge of the Democrat Party right now holding up legislation, the, the far-left people. They did not just want to not have Donald Trump. They wanted to change They wanted the a, way... a puppet figurehead that they could control the whole time, yeah. which— in a lot of ways, Joe Biden has turned into. Well, he's far more progressive than advertising. I mean, look, than he, what he said, anybody thought he was. He said, be. "I'm not Trump," so he he checked that box. I am a moderate, deal making, but he's competent not unifier leader you know, who's going to try to unify the country. He's not moderate. Most Americans think this has been an incompetent administration. They've had a, a hell of a time making deals. He is not even trying to unify the country. In fact, I'd say he's one of the most divisive and 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 purposefully divisive political figures we have in the country. Right now, so all the things they promised, except for, well, I'm not Trump, have come to pass, and it's not enough. His approval's in the 30s. But again, but he was he was he was a vessel. He was merely a way to get to, to, to you know the, to, to that mean to that end. And everyone, I'm, my, my point being, and this is the reason why there's so much, you know, friction among the different groups. Everyone filled that vessel with their own brand of what they think that that yeah. should be. And they don't agree. Well, if he is this great transition candidate, who is he transitioning to? The only person less popular than Joe Biden? Kamala Harris, his vice president. This is a big deal. And I don't think enough people are talking about this. The leadership void in the Democratic Party right now. I wrote about this a little bit in my column for Gannett that's coming out this week. But if you believe that, I think we all agree here, Biden's a lame duck. Pelosi's going to retire. Schumer, you know, who cares? He's dancing in New York. Uh, Harris, I mean, as Kevin pointed out, Harris is a disaster. Everything she touches turns to something bad. And, and right, who is in charge of this party? Who is the leader in this party that can even unify the Democrats? And this, this matters in policy. It matters in the run-up to the presidential election. But I think it matters in whether the American people view this as a party that's competent for governing. And I think Democrats were hoping to continue to portray Republicans as incompetent as it relates to governing. And now they themselves are suffering from such a leadership void that they they can't really win that debate right now. This is how Donald Trump, though, has completely and, and, and continues to upset the entire equilibrium of the country. Because from the very beginning, even, I mean, he has, he has, he's warped everyone. I mean, the, if you if you define yourself according to what according to Trump, basically, whether you're anti-pro or or, or whatever, then that, that's so when he's out of that equation, yet nothing left. But this was the beauty of the Yunkin campaign in Virginia. They refused to take the bait on this. Right. They were baited every day by McAuliffe. They were baited by Biden. Obama showed up and tried to bait him. They were baited every single day. And they never would take the bait on Trump. And Yunkin was only willing to define himself by the issues he wanted to talk about. And he engaged in the quaint, you know, practice of writing an issue platform and, and running on it. And the Democrats went ahead and tipped their hand on their overall electoral strategy, which is just to try to scream Trump, mm-hmm. Trump, Trump. And ultimately, it's just not enough. What was amazing to me was Yunkin did better in every single county in Virginia. And with Trump not being there, you might have thought, well maybe the rural MAGA base isn't going to turn out. Not only did they turn out, they turned out in 
bigger numbers uh, and bigger percentages for Youngkin. And so I actually think I was one of the people on CNN on election night saying this is probably a blueprint. If you're running in a place that has any kind of bluish or purplish, you know, uh, uh, confines, you can do this because Youngkin proved it doesn't hurt you in the rural areas to do it. Yeah, and because think, go ahead. Fred. Oh, I, I mean, I think what you're seeing is maybe rural folks didn't love Trump as much. Obviously, rural rural people did, but maybe Republicans as a whole didn't love Trump as much. And it was his attitude, not his policies. Right? It was it was the personality of Trump. And so now they're coming back and saying we hate these policies that Biden and the progressives are trying to pass. And so Yunkin, I think, is a great a great point on that. What Trump was willing to do is call BS on a lot of stuff that nobody else was was, was willing to do. So, yeah. And these people are calling BS in, 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 on their own, and they don't need him to do that anymore. He sort of gave him permission to do it. You right. know, like everybody was always afraid to do it. Trump comes along and breaks down the wall, and now everybody feels and emboldened to do they've it. They've seen someone stand up against just radical, crazy people shouting at them every day. You know, parents who are now called domestic terrorists can say, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't have to take it. I don't have to take it anymore. They yeah. got a blueprint in that. It, it was interesting uh, doing the election night work on CNN and then doing a few panels after and then reading some of the commentary. I, I've seen a lot of pundits and a lot of analysts and other sort of people on the left analyzing the election. The percentage of them who are willing to chalk this entire thing up to racism, and white supremacy is really stunning, I think, for a few reasons. One, it's not true. There were three statewide candidates in Virginia. Two of them were not white. Yunkin was. We had an African-American lieutenant governor. We have an attorney general who's now a Hispanic male. So the Republicans nominated a, a diverse ticket and won on it. Number two, it's really lazy. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just lazy and, and I think reflects an unwillingness to have any kind of introspection at all. But number three... If you're trying to figure out a way to rekindle any kind of relationship at all with people in flyover country, middle America, rural America, screaming at them that they are racist and that they must be white supremacists because they don't want to go along with you and vote for Terry McAuliffe or because they have the audacity to raise a question about their kid's school. If you thought it was bad before, if you thought the disconnect between Democrats and non-urban America was bad before, Wait. You just wait. And if this is the road they're going to go down, they went down it in Virginia, it didn't work. They've, they're doubling down on it I in their explanations. You just wait until next year when we're running races all over the country. If this is where they're headed, uh, just when you think we couldn't squeeze another 5 or 10% out of rural America, you wait. You it wait. can get worse. No, it, it, it is so much worse because people don't believe that about mm -hmm. themselves. And they don't believe it about their neighbors. Right. And they don't believe it about their community. And they think... Why should you get away with calling me names? If you called me that, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be friends anymore. Democrats are now calling voters that, and it's no wonder they're not friends anymore. This is, Scott, why it's so important that you're on CNN, and this is why this it's so important that this podcast exists. Because this disconnect out there, you, you, you so far are one of the few delegates from this vast expanse of flyover country that has an opportunity to explain these things and represent that in a cohesive and a re reasonable way, because otherwise it's all caricatured. So for those folks who are listening on either of the coasts, welcome. Uh, we're, we're not scary people, I don't think. Uh, and, and I think this is wonderful. This is a, a great opportunity for us to basically to explain 
the, the perspective here from this vast expanse. All right, we're translating from middle America for everybody else. I like that explanation. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we need to talk about, well, first, we need to talk about Russia. This whole Russia business sort of crumbling under, uh, this, this, by the way, everything that's happening right now, this, if you were Donald Trump and you were drawing up a way to get back into the White House, every single thing that's happened in the last two, it could not have line, it could not be lining up better Except for him. the court decision to. It doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't <laughs> matter. But the Russia deal, we got to talk about inflation. Uh, I want to talk about the impeachment miniseries you're watching on FX. I'm not watching it, yeah, but I I'm curious, about uh, curious about that. Um, and uh, and a lot more. So you're on the Flyover Country podcast with Scott and friends. Stay with us. This is a special security announcement. Scott Jennings. Enough said. All right. Welcome back to the Flyover Country podcast. I'm Scott Jennings, along with Joe Arnold, Kaylee Price, Kevin Grout. Hello. Jared Crawford is behind the production board today. Jared is over. Oh, he's the best dressed one here. <laughs> yeah, wow. Thank. He's you. wearing a tie. So for some reason. <laughs> uh, I did win best dress in high school. Not a big deal. Congrats on that. Uh, we'll expect to see the trophy on your desk uh, shortly. I uh, wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things that I think, um, we mentioned this before the, the break. You know, if you couldn't, you, you could not draw up a roadmap, I think, for Donald Trump to come back better than what is happening right now. Biden is in the toilet. Harris is a disaster. Democrats have a leadership vacuum. Inflation, by the, the inflation numbers came out. And it rose, uh, consumer prices rose by 6.2% in October, the largest increase in 30 years. People's wages are not keeping up with inflation, so people have less money in their pockets. Biden seems to be less people are working. Uh, you, you, yeah, Thanksgiving have, and the holidays they, are they coming up. Yeah, everything's going to be more expensive so if they can get the country. The, presents. the country feels like it's off the rails on that front. At the same time, this week, the Durham investigation continues, more indictments. It is looking more and more like this entire thing, by the way, as Trump always argued, was completely concocted, had no basis in reality, and was a complete hoax. I mean, that was his word, and it was a total hoax. And now Durham's indicting people. Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor, according to Fox News reporting, is mentioned in the indictment as one of the Democrat-aligned PR people who was in on this. Uh, I, I just, I feel like, this thing is lining up for Trump to basically run the simplest campaign of all time. It's called I Told You So. Now, this doesn't cure his transgressions around January 6th, but in a heads-up race against Biden or a Biden-aligned person, if you think Donald Trump can't come back, I, you know, I used to, six months ago, I was like, how could this even possibly be? But as we sit here today, I am stunned at how bad things have gotten, how much people have noticed, and how hungry people are for some actual leadership. This is how we get this guy back. It's just the latest in a long list of Democrat talking points. When Republicans or middle America brings up an issue, Democrats will say, oh, no, that's not real. Someone is lying to you. They did it on the caravans coming to the border. They did it on Russia. They've done it time and again. They did it in Virginia with CRT not being taught in schools when that's blatantly available. It, they continue trying to just say you're wrong and everyone's lying to you and people are starting to wake up to it. Yeah, it, it is It is a tactic that they're using and, and it, it is... It's really lazy. I mean, I guess maybe we sometimes give people in this business more credit than they deserve because just to continue to scream at people, this is a myth. This isn't reality. You're making it up. When people, I mean, it, Biden himself has poo-pooed inflation. No serious economist is talking about inflation. It's not, people are experiencing life. It's not 
only a Democratic or Democratic Party phenomenon, however. I think this is a general, where we are in this last generation, of whatever your belief system is, and you, you go and you find the things to back that up. And this is why the, the problem, and I'll go back to the Democrats and, 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 uh, and the, the Trump or the Russia situation, they, they desperately wanted this to be true. Yes. And so you, and you go and you find, but I'm saying they're not alone in that regard. We, we, I think many of us desperately want something to be true, and you then look for things to, to back that up. Now, it's the, the problem is it's different if an individual person or a voter has the attitude. It's something else if the Justice Department or the FBI has the attitude. Typically, we, we, we rely upon the gatekeepers and, the, and the, the courts and those who have rules you know, about such things and what you're going to accept as evidence as not being the same rules as you know, st- st- you know, strumming through your Twitter feed mm-hmm. for what's going to make you feel better about yourself, in my view. Yeah, I... Uh, I- I think Democrats are playing a dangerous game right now, having assumed that people would always... When you, when you have a media industry that's willing to essentially go along with everything you want to do and make all the arguments you want to make, even up to and including telling people things that aren't true... Russia's a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, how many... Every day, the news for two years of the Trump administration was dominated by it. There was really no other news. It was Russia all day long. And to see now how thin it was. And so I, so the problem with, with all this crumbling is that people start to wonder, well, what else has been fabricated? What else, what else has, been, has been put before me as a rock-solid item that now I have to question whether, whether this is a real thing or not? Which and is so, sad. Which, as I say, if it's sad because here's the problem. Like for instance, you know, Fauci saying one thing because it, it had a different, um, his, his goal, like for masks in the very beginning. You know, his goal, as he later on conceded, was that he didn't want people to go out and go buy masks and then take them away from hospitals. The problem is, is that ultimately what that means is you lose faith in the medical establishment, you lose faith in vaccines, and this has, this has real-world consequences because people are willing to sacrifice their credibility for a short-term goal. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, you... You're, you're looking to make a point and you, you hate someone. So much of this is emotional to Democrats. They, they just are desperate to tear somebody down that disagrees with them. And so they're coming up with these things. And, I mean, it's see-through. It, and it's, it's all coming down on them. You know, right that we, we, we really have lost the art of agree to disagree. I mean, I, I mean at this point, yeah. uh, if someone disagrees with you, you have to immediately go, you know, nuclear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, just from an electoral strategic perspective, like as a strategy matter, I guess, I guess politicians must think, well, if I don't go nuclear, then the people who really support me won't think I'm strong enough. And you, but you saw how this worked out in Virginia, you know, uh, and, uh, and it just, it's, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. And I don't know. I, I get the feeling they're not going to learn these lessons. And, you know, so what's, that, what's the net result of that? Republicans roll in the midterms, pick up huge numbers in the House. We can talk about the Senate in a minute, which I think is a different story. Uh, it gives Trump a way back. Uh, I mean, it, the, the net result of all this could be all the things that Democrats fear the most. <laughs> it could, literally, they're constructing before our very eyes. Let me ask you a question because of your campaign experience and all of you, actually, in, in, in your various uh, roles here. I'm a former media person and never been involved in a campaign before. So 
you're saying it's all setting up well for Trump, but there are so many Republicans who are conflicted. Who's left to run? Who? Because uh, otherwise, for, I, there are very few people. I mean, there are some people who are willing to put themselves out there right now. Your Sasanunu, you know, uh, deciding not to jump in here. I'm wondering if that's if that's indicative of basically the the rank and file Yunkin types who are going to be difficult to to recruit because of the fact that you have this this uh, insurrection versus you know the uh, the Mitt Romneys. And I think this is why Yunkin's victory was so important. I think you were talking about with Josh on the pod last week that after Yunkin's victory, there are more, as you call them, Yunkin types, successful businessmen who are very conservative but maybe not buy into the entire Trump narrative, who are now reconsidering races, might be willing to jump in. Um, I think that's probably good for the party in general and you know, can win, especially in a blue state. I mean, as it relates to Trump specifically, I, I, think, it, you know, I think so much of this is jurisdictional. And, uh, and, and it also depends on what kind of a person are you and, and can you pull something off? I mean, to me, the, the biggest thing about getting into a political campaign is can you run something that's authentic to you? Because people will smell it from a mile away if you're trying to do something that's not authentic to you. I think what was true about Yunkin is, you know, he was tr- truly a happy warrior. I mean, he was out relentlessly positive. You could tell it's who he really was. But I think people who go out and try to do something that they aren't it becomes immediately mm-hmm. discoverable. So if you go out and try to be, you know, Trump uh, clone, but it's not really who you are, I think it becomes immediately obvious uh, or vice versa. And so I think some of this is jurisdictional. Some of it's very personal. Um, and and the, the great thing about the Yunkin example is if there is a truth, it is if you show up and act like yourself, even if, even if you say things that not everyone agrees with, there is an appreciation for authenticity. And there is an appreciation for people who aren't trying to force it. And I just think, I, I think that's true whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. If you don't try to force it and you just be who you are, you can get away with certain things uh, because people will appreciate the honesty. And, and I think that leads to what are, who are you? What do you actually believe? You care about issues that affect you every day. And I think that's what Yunkin did and, and tuned into in Virginia voters in the suburbs. He talked and about. And all politics is local. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let me poll the panel. So a will. What is your midterm, Joe Arnold? What is your midterm forecast right now? I mean, as you look at it, you feel like Republicans will do what? I think Republicans will win back the House, and I think the Senate is fifty-fifty. Kaylee Price. I think sweep the House pretty easily. Lot, lots of seat pickups there. Um, Senate. I'm probably a little more optimistic about than Joe over here, but. It'll be tight. It all depends on who they can recruit for candidates. The the candidate recruitment is is a tough one. I think we're going to talk about that later. Kevin Grout. Red wave is coming to the House. Everybody else better get out of the way. I think the Republicans can pull the rabbit out of the hat in the Senate. Um, But Sununu was tough for me. Yeah, that was a tough tough one because that that put just a, you know, no one thinks about New Hampshire as being even remotely possible uh, anymore, even though it once was and has a Republican governor now. That that was a tough one. Maybe maybe we'll wind up with a candidate there that's not Sununu who can compete. And then Kelly Ayotte almost right Im- immediately yeah. afterwards yeah. said she's out it of it too. It was a tough day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So recruitment's been a hindrance. I, I mean, I tend to think it's a it's a mortal lock on the House. I mean, remember, Republicans almost won the House last time. Right. Trump was losing by 7 million votes, and it was before, you know, all the problems we have in the country. And so... Uh, I think it's a mortal lock in the House. I'm 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 50-50 on the Senate, and if I had to tilt it, I would tilt it towards the Republicans right now. Right. But it, these races are different. But if there's anything about these races we've learned, it's that there is a plan to win, and it's called the Glenn Youngkin Virginia Plan. You could apply it in so many of these states 
that are on the board. So, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some things we're watching, some things we're reading, and close out this week's Flower Country podcast. Stay with us. While on the moving sidewalk, please stand to the right to allow those wishing to pass to move safely on the left. Unless you're woke, then please stand on the left and allow those on the right to move ahead. All right, welcome back to Flyover Country. I'm Scott Jennings. Thanks for joining us this week. Again, a big week for us. We launched the podcast uh, formally with a couple of great guests. Uh, I encourage you to go back uh, on your favorite podcasting app and pick up the interviews with Josh Krauschauer from the National Journal, who writes the Against the Grain column. Josh was Terrific. Also with Jake Tapper from CNN, my friend. I'm on the lead with uh, Jake uh, from time to time, and Jake was a, a good sport to come on. And coming up in a couple of days, we have another huge guest that's going to be joining us. Should we should we tell it or should we tease it? What what, what is the I artistic got, director of this te- thing? Te- tease it. Tease, tease it. it a little bit. All right. So we should. It's a big guest. You'll know who it is. It's a big guest, and uh, and I think you'll be interested in what he has to say I'm uh, you know there's a lot going on with uh, legislation and politics and Washington so I'm excited to have him in here I tell you, we'll, we'll we'll make it a surprise I need to I need to pull you guys off the uh, air here to see what you want to ask him we gotta we gotta come up with some good uh, good stuff for him but we'll just uh, say he's a leader in Washington <laughs> that's yeah. right that's right we'll say he's a leader all right um, so that's coming up uh, and then next week we'll have uh, another panel and then we but we have great guests all fall. We have amazing guests lined up for this, and I think we're going to hear some really interesting things out of our. Out I'm of enjoying our hearing the uh, people who are subscribing to this that have never listened to podcasts again, because of course you're a known voice in in Republican politics, and so a lot of people. How do I subscribe to that? Never done podcasts before, so you're getting a new crew here. Yeah, I'm great among uh, I'm great among people who can't use their phones. And and, 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 and by the way, Joe being here, <laughs> I brought him here <laughs> specifically for this because he, in no way, shape, or form, can operate. So we any have to set te- him up with an app. With yeah, <laughs> I do have problems at times with the interwebs. It's just uh, I work on it. Uh, you know, for it's Joe, very and me, embarrassing. For Joe and me, by the way, this is like, you know, I started my career. When I moved to Louisville back in the 90s, you know, I was in radio, and I show up at WHAS to be a news anchor, and there's a talk show host there named Joe Arnold, and I did the news on Joe's show uh, for a long time, and he and I were had a lot of great fun. Uh, for those folks outside of this area, so WHAS <laughs> is the 50,000-watt AM talker. It's the big... You yeah. know, I'm just saying in terms of what, you know. Well, it was like, it's like a big middle America radio right. So You could hear it everywhere. Joe, right. do people know what a 50,000 watt radio station means? Okay, what I that means is. we talk about radio <laughs> stations. Yes. And it's, of course, yes. it's, it's, it's sad for AM radio, but before the interwebs, uh, you, you needed to have a big stick to be able to reach a lot of states. And so, yeah. uh, and, you know, late at night, uh, WHAS reaches like 38 states, and I would be on the air overnight, and we'd get calls from yeah. all over the country. It, it was a lot it was of fun. And then, so doing this podcast with you guys, uh, kind of reminds me of my old uh, my old days of uh, radio, and it's and it's a lot of fun. Now we have the ability to record this uh, at the Bluegrass Media Lab and get it out all over the world in a moment's notice, and uh, and we're going to do that uh, do that for our audience. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about with each of you, just sort of things you're watching, things you're reading, uh, things you're doing in your lives that might be of some interest. Joe, you're watching the FX series on Bill Clinton's impeachment. It's interesting that you brought up the radio show, Scott, because that was you know yeah. I was on the air during that entire you yeah. know uh, situation, and it was the the launch. Speaking of the internet, of of the Drudge Report and all of that, and how it 
and it was beginning, even though Donald Trump, you know, kind of gets credit for kind of you know, circumventing the media and going straight to the people. This is the beginning of that in many respects. And who, who, who's playing Clinton? Oh, I forget the actor's He's name. He's like famous. Yeah, Why right. do we know this? Crawford, yeah. do something he'll, there. he'll look it up. And then Edie, I can't do that. And then is it Edie Falco is playing Hillary? Hillary. And right. so I love right. her, of course, from The Sopranos. I was a little right. nervous about this. I saw some clips. I haven't watched, but I saw some clips. She just seems Sarah like Sarah Paulson okay. is Linda Tripp. And okay. so basically this, this is this is really uh, 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 it's really a, the story told through the eyes of, of those women. Okay. It's it's through Hillary, it's through Monica, and through Linda. Is Monica Lewinsky is a producer on it, right? So she knows she's what's involved. Going on. Right. Is it yeah. sympathetic? Is it sympathetic to any of the people that you didn't expect it to be? I will say less sympathetic than it is. It's not. It, it's not as caricatured as what you might expect. Yeah. Oftentimes, and because, and, and frankly, you you kind of have that um, that tendency. Whenever you're playing someone, you want the, someone to look like them. Mm-hmm. So then you have sort of like you know prosthetics involved. You're like, okay, that that becomes almost like a like a pageant than it is a film. But I do I find I think it's well written. Uh, I I think it's certainly this is the truth. When we talked about, I mean, I remember heck when Thomas Jefferson was first kind of re-scrutinized, you know, you know, years ago. Uh, for Sally Hemings and all that kind of stuff. This is sort of like Bill Clinton having a, a much sooner scrutiny yeah. through the Me Too lens than than what how long it took to look at other folks in the past. I, I just have a question. What is the best depiction of a U.S. president in TV or movies, in your opinion? And it could be real or fictional. Who's got who, Who's the best president? Well, right now, I mean, the new Trump that came on that oh, they the had SNL on SNL Trump. the yeah, other night, he was good. He, yeah, he's got the a great, man, The hand yeah. movements, the voice. When I wasn't look, when I wasn't yeah. looking at the screen, I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Well, what about really you? What about you, Kevin and Joe? I thought The Crown on Netflix did a good job of portraying Jackie Kennedy. I don't think any of the presidents are great, but uh, the first lady was was really good. Yeah, I I can't really think of any. I mean, frankly, I have a hard time, you know, suspending my disbelief or whatever when people are playing real presidents. I, I mean, I like Morgan Freeman. I like. Well, that's what I said. Fictional. So yes, he, he's a good I mean, president. Perhaps, perhaps the best though is going to be Harrison Ford in Air Force One. Right. Right. You know, I. I, See, I think that's the, how you want your West president Wing, ready to kick I somebody off. President West Wing. You like the president in the West Wing, <sighs> like Martin Sheen? Yeah. I, I like. I, I mean, I think. I think the greatest moment. Of American presidential leadership of all time was, of course, the president in Independence, Independence Day, State, right. yeah. standing yeah. up and then jumping in the literal cockpit of a fighter jet to fight aliens. Outrageous amount of leadership. I assume he was not just reelected, but then reelected in perpetuity as the most awesome. If you ever of all invite time. me back, I'm going to come back with a better. That's a good. That's a good thing to ask your your podcast listeners. Yeah, to, to, best to, depiction of a president. I would love to hear that. What about what about what do we think of the Kennedy depiction in 13 Days? I like the movie 13 Days, mm-hmm. uh, and I like Kevin Costner's stuff. But I thought it was I thought it was okay. Do you not agree? I liked it because it was less caricaturish. I yeah. mean, to me, it seemed to be kind of, of understated. And Kevin's never seen it. <laughs> Neither, have I. Seen it? Neither have I. Neither have I. Also, Independence Day. I got some homework apparently. Yes. Done that. Uh, what I'd like oh. to. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Wow. You've never seen Independence I gotta, Day? I got to fess up here. I have not. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> what are you watching, Kaylee? Nothing. Uh, you know, you and I went round and round for years about your failure to watch any of the Marvel movies, but you did finally catch up on Iron we Man have, and others. We have watched the entire Marvel Cinematic Series in chronological order now. So, And yeah. they are great. I love them. Yeah. You had good recommendations. So. Yeah. All right, because you don't watch movies, now you're forcing me to switch topics to books. Anybody read... Anybody reading anything good right now they want to bring? I got a couple that one makes me feel good, one makes me feel bad. Kevin? Uh, I'm 
into history. I'm a big nerd. So I'm reading uh, a great book by Lynn Olson called Those Angry Days, the lead up to World War II, FDR, Lindbergh going back and forth about whether America should get involved. Uh, Joe Arnold, you... What do you what do you have on the do you do you read books or have you figured out how to listen to Audible yet? <laughs> Let me see. Here. I, you're just you actually hire people to come in and read them to you. That's your version. Of it. <laughs> he gave you an out. You don't have to come back. Just don't it's done by it's done by candlelight each night. I don't know why I put up with you. Truly, he just calls and and, and just needles me. This is a, this show basically is sort of like my worst fears of like this all being done in public. I've been on a big kick the last couple of years. World War II kind of historical fiction movies. Um, also, right now reading Roger Bennett's Reborn in the USA. It's interesting love letter to America, basically cool. from a guy that immigrated from Liverpool. Haven't quite gotten to the love letter to America part. It's, it, Interesting. I'm interested in your Lindbergh book, though, because I think he's been easily caricatured as a Nazi. Oh, boy. This is and a huge deal. We, we have a, another mutual friend who's not on this show. And we're gonna, we'll are gonna leave him out of it for now. Maybe we should have him in to have, so you all can have the Lindbergh debate, because you're a pro-Lindbergh. Well, Our I, other buddy I, I is anti-Lindbergh. He's, he's his caricature. I'm just saying it's a, a different era, different times. And when he inspected the, you know, the, the Luftwaffe you know, leading up to World War II... This was he was he came back and reported that to FDR. A whole other story, but I, I just think that people have just decided to. I'm only him. a couple hundred pages in, so the question uh, is still open. But he got a medal from them. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, I I so I was uh, reading an article the other day about a anthropologist who wrote. I guess he wrote an op-ed a couple of years ago, surmising that a huge percentage of jobs in the world are, quote, bullshit jobs. And apparently his op-ed got a massive amount of... So he's written a book. His name's David Graver. And I am currently halfway through it, and I am rethinking every choice I have made in my life. He, I mean, he is surmising that maybe half of the jobs are what he has... Cat and he has subcategories of what makes something a bullshit job. <laughs> and, and, and it's really fascinating. He hates PR people, which I don't agree with, of course, because we are PR people. Uh, he has no use for lobbyists or lawyers or things of that nature, and and he does allow for some, but it, but it, but it's just interesting to hear him. He he ended up doing a big survey and asking people to send him uh, descriptions of their jobs, and really he's kind of basing some of his findings on whether or not the person who holds the job believes anyone would notice if they or their job just disappeared. And he has some, it, it, I don't know if you guys ever read this book. A few years ago, there was a, a lawyer named Harvey Silverglate who wrote a book called Ten Felonies a Day. And it was really about how the, the ridiculous expansion of the criminal code and, the, and how no one knows that they're committing all these felonies because the criminal, and it, it reminds me of that book in that it just sort of makes you think about the structure of our world. Like, what, what are we doing? We have committed three since starting this podcast, <laughs> and two of us are, are useless. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, so. Everyone who works for Scott in this room is kind of looking over their shoulder now. <laughs> yeah, this is like my new uh, new sort of HR manual, like, who here is necessary? Um, all right, we are, uh, how are we doing on time, Crawford? Uh, if we want to head into the light round, we'll, we'll wrap things Don't go up. into the light um, round. All right, here we go. Clive Owens is who plays... President Bill Clinton. Was that Clive Owens? Wow. I thought it was. Wait, are you sure about that? On the impeachment. Uh, yes, yeah, impeachment. The place huh. American crime story. Does he look like it? I think he's heavily made up then. I, I, I know yeah. Clive Owens. I didn't realize that was him. I mean, uh, he seemed familiar. Yeah, I'm looking at Clive Owens' popular movies too, and 
none of them are jumping out at me. Really? So I don't is know. Is he Falco the most famous person in the deal? She's got to um, be. Right? She's famous. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, Sarah Paulson's big, too, right. uh, American yeah, right. horror yeah. stories. Big. And she has a lot of prosthetics going on there for the really? trip. Yeah. But, but I think that I, I, that's, that's really the driving force of that show, by the way, yeah. is, is, uh, is Linda Tripp's story. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, all right. We're, we're heading down the old dusty road here. The sun's getting real low. Do you know what that's from, Kaylee? You don't. That's from a Marvel. That's what they tell the Incredible Hulk to get him to calm down. You don't even, you oh, haven't even watched it. You yeah. don't even know. I have watched the Hulk. How do you not know that? Is that Bill Bixby? No. I'm sorry. I don't remember <laughs> things that some fictional character says on my uh, TV. All right. All right. Joe Arnold, yes. you're, uh, you're in the hot seat this week for the lightning round. We'll start the clock you for you. Number one. These are short or one answer only. Number one. Favorite movie. Joe Arnold. I'll say it's a wonderful life, but it's a tie with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, both Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, you're a big Jimmy Stewart guy. All right. Also in black and white. That explains why you can't use your phone. That's right. All right. Number two, you are a TV reporter once again. Who is the one person in this world that you would want to interview and tell us why? I think Pope Francis, and I think because, uh, first of all, I'm a a Catholic, and so I'd be interested just to be able to talk to him in, in the first place. But beyond that... Just to sort of have a better understanding of of uh, the intersection of of faith and politics. All right, the Pope, the Pope. Best vacation you've ever been on? I think with my family, we took a uh, a Baltic cruise and we were able to go. I was uh, you know we went to Russia and St. Petersburg and oh Russia to uh, well, yeah, still investigators Russia on this huh? ride. Really, they had a great suite there with some cameras that were. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast has a listener in Russia, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did we get one we from Russia? One Russia? That's right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. How do you say thank you in Russian? You probably know. Spasiba. I knew it. I knew you'd know that. We got we to gotta talk about this. All right. Say so Baltic, Baltic Cruise? Baltic Cruise. All right. I recommend uh, it. Do you believe in aliens? And have they ever visited Earth? I'm, my imagination is broad enough to, to, uh, to think that somewhere in the infinity of space that there could be something else alive. I don't think that any intelligent life has visited us here on Earth. Does that include humans who are currently living here? He said Whatever. visited, not visited. born here. He said intelligent life. <laughs> <laughs> How many hours do you sleep at night? I would say about five. Five. That's all? You do work late. Yeah, I, two a.m. emails, three a.m. emails. Yeah, yeah. like how is Joe going how much anymore? Kaylee, I'm a solid seven hours at you least. You got to get. Yeah, I you're have, a bear. I mean, I have to get, get at least yeah. seven. Kevin, what's your? I'd like seven. I've got a two year old. Yeah, so you got you got yeah. you got little ones. Yeah. See, and regardless of how long I, I I stay up, is that you know I'm 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 driving the kids to school in the morning. And do, you, do you all get up the same time every day? Yeah. Do you have an alarm? Who has an alarm? Oh, yeah, yeah you don't have one. No, you do. You do. I don't like don't. early no. mornings or late nights. I just, really a middle of the day type rise. of person. Yeah, it's <laughs> around six fifteen or so, and it just you just get up. I just get up. That's really? amazing. I tell you, I had a traumatic experience when I was a teenager. I had one of my first jobs was I was a disc jockey on a small country music radio station in Princeton, Kentucky, and one of my shifts was the Sunday morning shift, and the station was so small that it wasn't even on the air overnight. Right. So I would have to come in, unlock the door, turn on the tower, get it all, and it had yep. to be up and running by 6 a.m. And on Sunday mornings on small rural radio stations, from 6 to noon was pre-recorded church programming. And if that church programming did not start when it was, so one morning, I just overslept. And so it's like, 
eight in the morning and my home phone, we didn't have cell phone, my home phone is ringing and it's the owner of the radio station screaming that I am not there and the station's off the air and therefore the pastor who had the pre-recorded show was not hearing his sermon. And so from that point forward, that, that I mean, I was traumatized by this as a 16-year-old kid. So I set like 100 alarms. And I will not oversleep, and I can't think of a time when I've really much oversleep since then. So I'm I'm fascinated that you. No, know I have no, I, and that's a adult uh, uh, development for me. When I was that age, certainly, and I was also the person turning on the radio station, I had, have had similar situations. My worst though was probably when I was scheduled to sing at church, because I was you know cantor in church, and then oversleeping for that, and then literally like coming in on two wheels and running into church and starting to sing here when the moment the priest walks up the aisle. What's the worst thing you ever overslept on, Price? Uh, the annual ham breakfast. Oh, oh you met wow. you overslept on the ham breakfast. The the first year it's ham. And Scott Scott was like calling around people. Is Kaylee okay? Where is she? Whatever. <laughs> to be fair, oh, that means right. you slept so past I, three a.m. No, or <laughs> I had gotten up and gotten ready, and I was like, "Oh, I have twenty minutes. Oh, I'm just gonna a, sit here on my that. couch." Yeah. You cannot. That's a boy. You can't do it. For our and, friends on the coast, the ham breakfast is one of the preeminent political gatherings in Kentucky yeah. every year, and it has Big deal. probably most members of the general assembly are in in, in, oh. in place. It's, it's a who's who of, yeah. of Kentucky at the state fair. The food's uh, good too. It was like my first year living uh, back in Kentucky. Yeah, had just gotten back here, and yeah, I recall being worried rough. about you. Yeah, yeah, grout. You worked so Kevin worked for uh, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell for many years in Washington as a speechwriter. You ever oversleep on the boss? Well, before I was a speechwriter, I was his body man, the first one there in the morning to greet him with the car. So it was uh, a lot of early mornings, and someone was nice enough to put the fear of God into me. Yeah. Uh, so I never overslept on him. Crawford, I think you overslept this morning. You look like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, all through um, high school and college, worked at a golf course, and I worked at the driving range. Oh. So the driving range has to be set up and ready to go an hour before the first tee time. First tee times are 7 o'clock, oh and boy. so everything has to be running by 6. That means you've got to be there by 5. So I became a little bit of a morning person yeah. doing that. Um, but, yeah, if members showed up and wanted to hit a bucket of balls and you hadn't got things or the gate open, same thing. It puts the fear of God in you, and you're there early next time. I love this golf course deal. <laughs> I, I think we should do – make mental note, Jared, for future okay. notes – we need to do a whole deal on our first job, our teenage jobs. Because I yeah, actually think, because yeah. you know, I have a 12, my oldest kid is 12, and I've already started thinking about what is he going to do when, you know, for work as a teenager. I think I think the nature of some of this work has changed, and whether there is work. Actually, I, the job market the way it is, he can be VP right now. <laughs> <laughs> At a middle, I believe I could get him hired to drive like a truck right now. He could be like, he could get his CDL right now. I mean, uh, that's true. Uh, all right, back to the uh, lightning round. Um, you've been banished from Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and you have to go live somewhere else. Where is it? And it cannot be Belleville, Illinois, your hometown. That's my hometown. Um, I'm still a, a sucker for, for patriotism in our, in our nation, and I, and I love museums, so I would say Washington, D.C. I don't know how well I'd like necessarily sort of the I, – I probably can I live in the suburbs? Yeah, you, no, you have to live in town. Oh. That might change it then. I mean, if you want to say you want to live in the suburbs of Northern Virginia, that's fine. Okay, because I'll they have a governor and you've got the vest for it. Yeah, you've got, <laughs> yeah, yes, you've right. got the vest. I've, you already, I've already signed up. Okay. Fast friends. All right, last question in the lightning round. Yes. Thanksgiving is coming. What side dish can Joe Arnold not live without? Can't live without. I've, what side dish is going to be on no matter what happens? 
Can I tell you the one that I can't figure out? The people eat around here. <laughs> You're is, changing the lightning uh, round. <laughs> is that I've never understood macaroni and cheese. But a lot of folks like that around I, here. I, I was like, really? But all right, let me. Uh, what side uh, dish did you grow this, up? What side dish sticks out that you grew up? That's what with? it is. Because yeah. and, and, and just not to be overly emotional about it, but my late mother made you know the family recipe for uh, we called it dressing and not stuffing. Yeah, right. Right. and it was you know uh, toasted bread and uh, tons of eggs and celery and things like that and and and, and a sausage that was fried and all kind of put in there. And I've never tasted it again after she passed away, just because no one can make it like my mom. Yeah, did. she had a specific. So I will way tell you that. what I'm going for here now in my head. You say I can't live without. Well, that's the one I've lived without it, but I sure wish I didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. Solid answer. That'll be that'll be our our our. our uh, that's good. I, I like that. I I I have tasted some stuffings. And it's not quite that. There's something about that recipe that your grandmother. Well, that or is the yeah. thing that kind of defines oh, to me the, yeah. the the uniqueness of every Thanksgiving table is yeah. whether you call it a dressing or a stuffing, whatever else. But none of them are the same. Yeah. Unless you're buying out of a box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's a homemade stuffing or dressing, then it's going to be that's what kind of defines to me what Thanksgiving tastes like. Kaylee, what's your favorite uh, side dish on Thanksgiving? Mashed potatoes and gravy. Yeah. Mashed so potatoes. I will say to his point about the mac and cheese, also from Illinois. In Iowa, never had mac and cheese. Right. Is it a southern my, thing? My husband must have it. My sister-in-law from Texas must have it. It's like not a thing mac for me. And we cheese. never had it as a kid. Mac it's and strangely. cheese was a thing. We had we had stuffing. Mashed potatoes were copious. Uh, we had you know always did a turkey and ham, so we had two meats oh, laying oh, there. Wow. You know my favorite thing is probably ridiculous sounding, but I love beets. And uh, and I love to have like beets, and I also love cranberries, and so like that, that kind of pickled. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's the. Uh, You're the one person at your Thanksgiving dinner that eats out of the cranberry. I'll eat a whole can. Yeah, that's. I'll eat a whole can. Yeah. I mean, no, I you. mean, it's. I just. I, I don't know why, but I love to smear it on the turkey. I love it, and I. I mean, it, and there's some people who make like cranberry salad, which I also like. Yeah. But if you just put a can of that stuff out, right. I will definitely. Right. Oh, Crawford preach, likes it. Preach. Yeah, it's good. It's I, good. Better than the homemade stuff. Yeah, what's your favorite? Uh, my mother-in-law uh, makes it. This is a smart answer, by the way. My mother-in-law <laughs> makes this great uh, confetti corn. It's corn and cheese and bacon and uh, sweet peppers, Ooh. and it's terrible for you. But she makes it every year because she knows it's my favorite. That's great. And I'm very appreciative. That's great. Not one of us mentioned a green vegetable, I think. Uh, well, I'm, we are we are a Betty Crocker family in terms of we do have yeah. the, you know, the the green bean casserole yeah with the mushroom right and the yeah. little you know durkies whatever onion that you're going to sprinkle on top so we're that's, that's a close that's second for me all right all right uh we'll talk more about thanksgiving in the weeks ahead joe arnold kaylee price kevin grout thank you for being with me jared back in the back doing the production thank you thanks this week to jake tapper and josh krauschauer you do not want to miss our next guest Big. It's a big one. Big. It's going to be big. We'll make big. some news with it, and uh, we'll look forward to you uh, giving us your listener feedback and uh, catching up with you next week. You're on the Flyover Country podcast with Scott Jennings. Thanks for listening. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at scottjenningsky on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, 
make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.